All right, let's stand together and we're going to read and we're going to pray through the Lord's Prayer. And I want to talk to you tonight about the God of provision. Give us this day our daily bread is what we're going to be focusing on. And I want to say hello to Bill and Lana Barclay uh, there. Now you want to, some of you don't know who that is. Raise your hand, Bill. He got real serious back surgery, but here he is and he's doing six miles on the treadmill now. So that's great. And it's good to have Matt and Angie back from vacation. And you may need to get, uh, get together tomorrow, if you can tomorrow, because you asked to get with me and I haven't had time to call you. So y'all forgive me while I take care of business here. All right. Let's, uh, we're going through the Lord's Prayer, and I wanted to pray it every time. This is a prayer guide. Uh, all of you have pretty much admitted, along with me, that we could, ha um, we could stand some enhancement in our prayer life, some acceleration in our prayer life. Amen? We need to pray more. We need to pray stronger. And uh, so we're giving you a guide, and it's the guide that comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. And so let's pray this prayer, and then we're going to get into uh, the daily bread issue tonight. Ready? In this manner, Jesus said, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now can you place your hand right over your heart and we're going to pray together. I want to pray for supernatural impartation tonight, that God really opens our eyes. Lord, we pray that you will speak to us. Lord, we need that word to go deep into our innermost, innermost soul. Speak to us, Lord. Now breathe a prayer, folks, and say, Lord, I receive your word with meekness. In Jesus' name, change me. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God heard that prayer and you can be seated. God bless you. Now do we have lam laminated ones? They found some laminated ones. So raise your hand again and we'll get you the real deal. There you go. There you go. All right. You don't have one, Kathy? Oh, it's for your mother. And I'm using hers every day. So I need one for me. Put one on that seat right there, Frank. Okay. All right. I'm real informal tonight. I don't know why. I just... Frank, you didn't give me one. Frank, I want one on that. There we go. Thank you. On my chair. Because I steal hers every time. There we go. Everybody say amen. amen. All right. Let's look now. We saw last time that the first half of the Lord's Prayer is totally occupied with God and His interests. And that's not the way that we would be, is it? I shared with you last time that immature praying, immature praying is generally all about me. It's all about me and my needs. That's immature praying. And I'm going to venture to say that more people than not ever transcend beyond that kind of praying. We four no more, bless me, bless me, myself, and I, and we never go beyond that. But the Lord's Prayer begins with God's interests and not ours. 
So we found ourselves last time talking about praying thy kingdom come and thy will be done. It's the second half of the prayer that focuses on personal petitions, and we're going to begin that tonight. We also saw that to pray for his kingdom to come is to be prepared to live an obedient life to his word. Because God's kingdom is characterized as the place where his will is done. Do you want the kingdom of God manifested in your life? Then you've got to walk in obedience to his word. There's no other way you're going to have the kingdom of God manifested in your own life. And finally, we looked at the difference between heaven and the kingdom of God. There's a difference. Now, sometimes the words or phrases are interchangeable. Sometimes the New Testament will say kingdom of God and it's talking about heaven. But there are other times when the kingdom of God is talking about a condition, not a place. Heaven is a, condi- is a, is a place. We're all going to go there someday. If you're a Christian, if the blood has washed your sin, sin away, you're bound for heaven. And it's a place, it's a location where you will someday arrive. But Jesus said the kingdom of God is already here. It's among you. And he said it's within you. And then the Bible tells us the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the condition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is characterized by the condition of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that's the correct order. You will never have peace till you have righteousness. You come to him for your righteousness, and then you begin to obey him as well. And when you are in right standing with God, you will have peace. And guess what? You're never going to have joy until you have peace. You can't have joy without peace. We're not wired that way. So the kingdom of God is characterized by the arrival of righteousness, followed by peace, followed by joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. And that's what we ought to be walking in every day. It ought not be a rare occurrence. It ought not be a fluke when you experience righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You ought not only experience it on Sunday for a couple of hours. You ought to walk in having experienced that all week long. And that way, we don't have to sing much. It's already bubbling up and flowing out. The righteousness, the peace, and the joy in the Holy Ghost in God's people. Well, I could park right there, but I'm going to move on. Everybody say, the kingdom of God. All right. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay, Jeff, there. Now, this time, the Lord's Prayer turns to how our own personal needs are met. Now, we're going to get down to provision issues, and Jesus covered these. And so, let's, let's pray this again or say it again. Jesus said, here's what you pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, now, Jesus is dealing with bread issues, the bread issues of life. Now, first, he wants us to understand that God knows and is concerned with the provision of our daily necessities. What did Jesus say? He said, your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. When you go to him and you say, Lord, I need X amount of money or I'm in trouble, you have not informed God of something he does not know. He knows to the penny what you need. 
but he's taught us to pray for it because that keeps us in relationship with him. If we never had to ask him for anything and he just did it for us all the time, we would never focus on him. We'd never seek him. But he said, I want you to learn how to come to him every day and say, God, you know what I need, but I'm going to tell you what I need. I'm coming to you for my daily bread. He's talking about these things. He's talking about what is necessary for existence, food, clothing, and shelter. He's not talking about that Mercedes you saw on the lot when you were driving by. You know, Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones said one true thing. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, no, I'm sorry, you just might find. Now here, let me just change it a little bit. But if you pray sometimes, you might find that God will always give you what you need. Always. And Jim Morrison said one true thing. People are strange. Amen? <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the rock and roll world now. Now let me just move on. So the first lesson from this part of the Lord's Prayer, and I want you to catch this now. Or let me go to the top. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. Though our culture through advertising impresses on us the need for much more, we really don't need boatloads of stuff to make us happy. Bread is so simple. Bread is so common. There's nothing luxurious about bread. He said, give us our daily bread. Now, the first thing that I see from this, this part of the prayer is that the Lord is teaching us the key of contentment. He's teaching us how to be content. Paul, and I call this is what I call Paul, the overcoming attitude king. I call Paul the overcoming attitude king. He was the king of attitude. Paul, just sometimes when I'm reading the word of God, it just blows me away. It's amazing to me how he was able to maintain this incredible attitude, sitting in prison, chained up, his freedom taken away, ridiculed, mocked, and rejected all over his, his neck of the woods, his known world, and yet he was always rejoicing. He always rejoiced. He had this incredible ability to maintain an attitude that was victorious. And I got to tell you, folks, that's hard to do. Have you tried it lately? Have you tried it at 530 in rush hour traffic when it's not moving? Have you tried to have a victorious attitude when three things break in your house all at once? Let me tell you what happened to me today. <laughs> Kathy said to me, I sure would like one of these uh, water coolers because we found out that our, our water wasn't the cleanest water that it could be, just city water. She said, I, I wish we had one of those things that held the big water deals and we could get fresh water out of it. I said, oh, I'll, I'll go get one. So I went out in 104 degree heat <laughs> and I drove to Home Depot where all things exist. And, you know, I used to be able to walk through Home Depot and not bat an eye. I can't get out of there now. It's really scary. Something happens to me when I walk into Home Depot. I go browsing down the tool section. Who cares about tools? Something deep in me 
is beginning to turn towards tools and gimmicks and gadgets. And so I'm walking down the aisle, and I said to the guy, I said, do you have any of these water? Oh, yeah, we got these water cooler deals. So he took me to one. And here's this, there's three choices. So I noticed this one. I said, well, it was the cheapest one, but it was nice. Stainless steel-looking deal and sharp-looking. So I, I think I want that one. Well, we don't have any. And I said, well, I'm looking at one right here. And he said, well, that's all we got left. I said, can I buy this one? He said, well, let me go check. I said, well, you go check and see if they'll take my money. So he comes back. And he says, you can have it. Let's load her up. So we loaded it up. I thought I got a great deal. I would have had a great deal if the water cooler had worked. <laughs> I took it home, un, uh, you know, uh, uh, set it all up, got a jug of water. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I got to tell you what kind of day I had because I really did maintain a victorious attitude <laughs> to a level. <laughs> I mean, pretty good for me. I turned the water upside down and dropped it in there like you're supposed to, and I heard a noise. And I looked behind it, and the water's just squirting out all over the floor. And there was a missing piece. So I had to run and get a glass and put it under there and hold it while all this water emptied out. And I said, well, praise the Lord. He knew it didn't have the piece. When I walked out of there, he knew. So he's in charge. So I'm going to go back up there and get the piece. So I found the guy who sold it to me. And I said, you gave me a water cooler that was missing a key piece. Well, which piece? The piece that held the water in. <laughs> you know, it's a water cooler. So he goes, oh, well, let's, let's, we'll go take it off one of the other ones, and you can have it, and I'll order it for the other one. I said, that's, that's really what you ought to do. So he took it off, gave it to me. I went all the way back home in 104 degrees, <laughs> sweating. But I'm rejoicing. I go in there. It won't fit. And I tried to make it fit. <clears throat> and then I put the water in again. And I heard a noise. And out it came again. I had to get the pliers to take it off because I'd put it on there so hard. It didn't work. So took it off. And I decided I'm taking it back. I took it all the way back. And the guy looks at me and says, not you again. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's me again. It didn't work. Now, this whole time, I'm praising God. Then I get to the counter, and I decided to use a credit card. She ran it through. It didn't go. I'm thinking, I think I'm receiving an omen here. I don't think Kathy was in the spirit when she said she wanted a water cooler. I think Kathy just flat missed God. But it took me two and a half hours to get a water cooler. Now, you think things don't happen to the preacher. They do. <laughs> now, I shared all that with you to say I didn't lose my cool. When I saw the guy again, I said, we've got to quit meeting this way. He thought I was going to chew him out. I could tell. He thought I was going to chew him out. Nah. I said, we can't do this. You know, I need to get a water cooler. And so I kept an attitude, but I thought, now, if you put me in prison for preaching the gospel and you chain my legs up and I can't go anywhere, I can't be with my friends, I am ridiculed and mocked all over the place, and you're going to 
kill me for doing what is good. And I've still got a victorious attitude. That is supernatural. Amen? I mean, if I can keep one with a water cooler deal, that was victory for me. But Paul, oh my. Now in another place, he actually gives an actual testimony about his journey toward contentment. I want you to listen to this. It's powerful. It's out of the Message Bible. He said, actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether being full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. He's saying, it doesn't matter to me. I have found the key to being happy. Now, I want you to notice what he's saying. The first thing we learn from the Lord's Prayer is contentment. Jesus said, just give me today my daily bread. I don't have to have the world. Just give me my daily bread. That smacks of contentment. And I want you to notice something now. Paul is saying, things won't make you happy. Because if I have a hand full of things or a hand empty of things, neither one of them dictate my happiness. Neither one of them. And I know this is right. Because every day we see in the news people who have millions of dollars who are committing slow suicide or who are miserable or committing themselves to an institution to get off of drugs or alcohol. If things made you happy, then... We would have testimonies for it everywhere. But we have the contrary. Things don't make you happy. Stuff doesn't make you happy. It's not that God's against stuff. He just wants us to know that's not what makes you happy. Paul said, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. I can make it through anything by the one who makes me who I am. Isn't that powerful? Now, here's the principle. Things don't make me happy. What does make me happy? Contentment. Now, I'm saving you thousands of dollars. I'm counseling you. As a matter of fact, you might not find a counselor who would tell you this. But do you know what makes you happy? Contentment. Paul said, I found the recipe to happiness. The recipe isn't things. The recipe is when I can say, well, I've got a little bit, praise God. I've got a lot, praise God. Don't have anything, praise God. Have whatever I need, praise God. I've learned whatever condition materially I'm in, contentment is the key to being happy. That is powerful. I mean, that is really powerful. The second lesson we find is daily dependence on God. Daily dependence dispels worry. Jesus said four times in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
So don't worry about these things. What? Shelter, food, drink. Don't worry about these things. Saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That's why they give their life to making money. That's why they have nervous breakdowns if the stock market has a problem. These things dominate their mind. Can never have enough. Can never get enough. Can never store up enough. Can never save enough. But the children of Israel, when they were walking through the wilderness, the Bible says God was trying to teach them one thing. I'm giving you manna every day. I'm giving you daily bread. And I want you to learn in the wilderness to trust me. That's the lesson I'm trying to teach you. Just trust me. And Jesus in the Lord's Prayer here is teaching us to trust him. Father, give me today my daily bread. I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know what I'm going to do a year from now or a month from now. But I believe that today you're with me. Just enough for each day. This is all that God was ever trying to teach them in the wilderness. You want to know what God was trying to teach them in the wilderness? Trust me. Would you just trust me? Would you just trust me? And you know what? They never got it. They never learned it. They griped, they complained, they murmured, and they doubted God until finally they died in the wilderness. Now, Jesus comes along in the new covenant, and instead of manna, he says, I want you to trust God for your daily bread. The children of Israel had to go out there in the morning as the sun was rising. They gathered it. They couldn't even keep what they gathered that morning for a day. It would rot. God made sure that they had to trust him every day for fresh provision every day. Well, let's save it, Martha. Let's, I gathered a bunch today. Let's save it for a week. They couldn't save it. That night it would rot. Well, thanks, God. What you give us, it rots in a day. I'm trying to teach you to trust me every day. Well, here I am again. Here comes the sun. It's rising again. Lord, give me this day my daily bread. And they went out and gathered it. And after 40 years of that, they still didn't trust him. Go figure. Our tendency is to seek for long-range security. We want that 401K. But Jesus taught a daily dependence on God. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, if I were a salesman or a saleswoman, I had to go out and sell something every day, you know exactly what he's talking about. Lord, give me some sales today. Give me favor with people today. Do something for me today, Lord. Give me my daily bread. You know what Jesus promised? You've got it. You've got it. Now, here's a third lesson I see in this prayer. Be specific. He said, give me daily bread. That is specific. When we ask God for our daily bread, that's a specific prayer. I need bread and I need it today. You don't go to God and say, well, you know what I need. I receive it. Amen. That's not what you do. Jesus said, when you go to him, tell him exactly what you need. Exactly. The Bible never encourages nebulous shotgun praying. We are to have a target of specificity, a target. Be specific. One day Jesus said to a blind man, and I love this question, what do you want me to do for you? Now, let me just put it to you folks. If Jesus were standing here and said, what do you want me to do for you? Would you have anything? How many of you would jump right up and say, 
I'm going to tell you exactly what I want you to do for me. All right, if he's standing here and you can do that, can't you do that in the prayer closet? Lord, I know you're always saying to me, what do you want me to do for you? He says that to you every day. What do you want me to do for you? We think we've got to arm wrestle God. But God is there saying, what do you want me to do for you? Do you hear what Jesus was saying to him? He was saying, tell me exactly what you want. Now, Jesus knew that he was blind. Hello? I mean, the guy, he's, and Jesus says, tell me what you want. Well, that's obvious. You know what I want. But he made him say it. I want you to heal my eyes. I want you to give me my sight, Lord. I want my sight. He did not say to Jesus, you know what I need, man. You're looking right at me. He said what he needed. He came out and asked specifically. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has healed you. And at once he received his sight and he accompanied Jesus on the road. Now, that's just one example. You know how many times Jesus said to people, what do you want me to do for you? Can you believe he's asking you that right now? What do you want me to do for you? You know, Joe was telling me, he said, you know, before I even talked to you, before I even knew you existed, I've been telling God it's time for us to make a move. We didn't know where we were going to go. Didn't know what we were going to do. But he said, one week before you called and we met, I was packing my house. Now, he's either a nut or he hears God. He said, I was packing my house. And I said, not knowing where you were going, not knowing where I was going. But I told the Lord, it's time for us to go into the ministry. It's time for us to be released. And I'm stepping out on faith. You know exactly what I want you to do for me. And he said, Lord, at this point in the game, it's going to have to be a lightning bolt out of the sky. And then the other day at lunch, he said, that's exactly what it turned out to be, a lightning bolt out of the sky. But I told God, this is what I want you to do for me. What do you want God to do for you? What do you want the Lord to do for you? Have you thought about it? You know what you ought to do? Think about it. And tomorrow, tell him. Tell him what you want. Now, here's the last lesson that I see in this, and it's to be tenacious. Can everybody say with me tenacious? Tenacity. I love the word tenacity. Uh, I think the best definition of tenacity is shameless persistence. Shameless persistence. How many of you have children in here? All right. You remember when they were little and not so little? Have you noticed that if anybody's going to be shamelessly persistent with you, it's your kids. And you'll say no, and they'll say, I didn't hear that. I don't understand the word no. And they will be shamelessly persistent. Don't, don't bother me now. Talk to me about it later. And here they come. And they do talk to you about it again and again and again and again. And they're not embarrassed. They're not afraid. They not, 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 not. Give me what I want. This is what I want. I'm being specific. I saw that toy in that store or on that commercial. And that's what I want. And finally, we will go here to get them off our back. And that's exactly what Jesus taught. Say with me, shameless persistence. Jesus taught to have a daily consistent prayer life. Consistent, shamelessly persistent. Listen, delay is not denial. Delay is not necessarily denial at all. 
Just because you didn't get what you asked for the first time doesn't mean God's not going to do it. A child knows and understands tenacity, and we are to be tenacious with God. He said, and here's the way it reads in the Greek language, it's, it's this, this tense on the verbs. Keep on asking, keep on asking, and it'll be given you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it will be open to you. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus said, I want you to be shamelessly persistent. Now, there's two good reasons that, as we close tonight why tenacity is needed in prayer. And listen carefully to this. The first one is timing. Listen, God either says yes, no, or wait. But he always answers you. I said he always answers you. He, he never he never ignores you. He doesn't turn his ear from you. If it's a no, he'll tell you no. If it's a yes, he'll tell you yes. But if it's a wait, it's a timing issue. And we have a hard time with timing. I want what I want now. I want what I want when I want it. I don't like it when God says wait. But God says wait more often with me than he says yes. You know why? Because a lot of the time, if he gave it to me when I first asked for it, I couldn't handle it. So a lot of the times when God is waiting, he's preparing you so that you can handle it when the answer comes. Some of you don't realize that you've got some good food in God's oven and it's being cooked. It's being cooked. You know, uh, every, every Thanksgiving, it, it seems like every Thanksgiving, everybody comes to our house, all the family members. And we get that turkey and we put it in the oven. And it's hours before you get it. And you got to put up with that fragrance in the house. And you got to, and Kathy said, no, don't you eat? Don't you eat? But Kathy, that fragrance is driving me crazy. I've got to eat something. Don't you eat? Because we're about to get the turkey out of the oven. But hours go by. But you have to learn when it's going to be really good, you wait. God's got a turkey in the oven for you. <sighs> yes. And, and it's cooking. And you know that it's there because the fragrance spiritually is around you. You're aware of it. And you're saying, God, why am I having to wait? God says, because it's got to get ready for you and you've got to get ready for it. So wait. Play dominoes. Do something. Just wait. <laughs> Praise me. Just wait. Because there is a time for every purpose under heaven. There is a timing. As a matter of fact, I like this message Bible version. It says there's an opportune time to do, to do things. A right time for everything on the earth. There's a right time for everything on the earth. Everything has a timing. Everything has a timing. Now, here's the second reason you're going to have to sometimes be tenacious. Warfare. I want you to listen to what, uh, and I'm, I'm dropping you into the book of Daniel here real quick, and we're going to close with this. this is one of the most powerful testimonies to prayer and waiting and what's going on behind the scenes that you cannot see in the whole Bible. 
Daniel was seeking God for a revelation about Israel. A revelation, by the way, that is relevant right now. What God showed him in answer to the prayer we're about to read about is relevant right now. He's praying and he begins to pray and he's fasting and praying. And he's praying for 21 days. For 21 days, there's no answer. There's not a whisper. There's not a breeze. There's nothing. And he's praying. He's seeking God. Give me an answer. Give me a revelation. Tell me what's going to happen to my people Israel. Tell me what's going to happen. 21 days go by. And all of a sudden, a being is standing in front of him. A huge, glorious being. And the being says to him, relax, Daniel. Don't be afraid. From the moment you decided to humble yourself to receive understanding, your prayer was heard. And I was, and I set out to come to you, but look what happened. I was waylaid by the angel prince of the kingdom of Persia and was delayed for a good three weeks. Wow. Suddenly, everybody, the veil is lifted and we are allowed a glimpse into the spiritual world. And here's this faithful man praying. He has no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Here is this mighty archangel on his way to Daniel from the first day he prayed. And when he's halfway there in the second heaven where warfare happens, he was waylaid, he was hindered, he was stopped by a demonic creature that he calls the Prince of Persia. And they battled. And they were battling. And this demon spirit is trying to stop the archangel from getting to Daniel with the answer. And it was so ferocious, so unbelievably relevant to the spirit world and to the future of Israel that God had to send another archangel, Michael, one of the chief angel princes, intervened to help this angel that was coming to Daniel with the message. I mean, folks, you've got a, a titanic warfare going on behind the scenes. And, and here's just Daniel just praying, not having any idea why he's having to wait. Where is God? Why isn't he answering me? And this angel tells Daniel, I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And now I'm here to help you. I've often wondered, what if he had quit fasting and praying 18 days in? I don't know the answer to that. But he stayed true, kept fasting, kept praying, and finally the breakthrough came. I'm not saying that's always the case. I can tell you I've experienced this. I know for a fact I've had to pray through some things over a long period of time until finally there was a breakthrough. I think our church is beginning to see a breakthrough, the, the release of giving, the release of harvest, the way it's coming. I think it's almost like if, if you keep praying, you finally drill a hole through heaven. You know, I remember reading about a famous preacher who said he would pray until he preached under an open heaven. And there are times when you are being resisted because what you're praying for is relevant to the kingdom of God. And if you think the devil just sits there and says, oh, well, there they go praying again. Oh, well, God bless them. Uh-uh. He'll come after you 
And he'll try to hinder the answer from getting to you. And so you've got to keep praying until finally that spirit is bound up and God gets his answer to you. That's why you need to pray sometimes with tenacity. So let's stand together and let's look uh, in summary at these four things we've learned from Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread. Can you say them with me? Contentment, daily dependence, specificity, and tenacity. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I want us to take a minute as we close tonight. I want you to give God your needs. Picture Jesus standing in front of you and saying, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And I want you to tell him something right now. Here's what I want you to do for me, Lord. This is what I want you to do for me. And pray and keep on praying. Ask and keep on asking. Press in. Come boldly to the throne of grace. He knows what you have need of. And he will meet your daily needs. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Thank you, Lord. You're all.